Now, some of you are blessed enough to have not existed 40 years ago, and the rest of us are a little jealous of that. But uh, if you happen to have existed 40 years ago, just go into your head for a second and go, where was I 40 years ago? And those of you who are not so great at math, 40 years ago is 1982, right? Now, it seems to me that 1982 was about seven years ago, but it turns out it's 40 years ago. Um, where were you 40 years ago? You remember what was going on in those days in your life? Picture this. A man stands on the bank of a river. He's an old man. And he stands looking at his reflection in the water and contemplating and shaking his head and stroking his beard. And he begins to remember back 40 years. 40 years ago, before he had ever heard the name Moses. 40 years ago, when there was no hope in his life. And 40 years ago, when he was young and strong and vigorous. He remembers the first time he saw Moses and realized there's something different about this guy. He remembers the speeches that Aaron made and how it, it motivated the entire community, he, he remembers that things got really, really dark for a while. He remembers how Pharaoh hardened his heart when God confronted him. He remembers that God made a threat and Pharaoh didn't take him seriously and God came through and there was a plague. And then there was another plague and then there was another plague, and he remembers all of those plagues and the incredible way in which God used his power to show Pharaoh who's really God. And he remembers that day in which they slaughtered a spotless lamb, and they took some of the blood from that lamb and they put it on the header of their doorways and some on the doorposts. And how they went to bed in peace that night and woke up to the sounds of wailing and shrieking as the Egyptian people woke up to find that their firstborn had been killed. And he remembers what it was like to actually be led out of Egypt, led out of slavery, and how they just came in droves, millions of them, following on foot as Moses led the brigade out. And he remembers the thrill and the excitement and the joy of what it was like when they realized they were past the border of Egypt and that those 400 years of slavery and oppression and pain were behind them. And then they came to the edge of the Red Sea and they stopped and they looked behind them and they saw the dust of Egypt's army, the chariots and the soldiers following behind. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. And he remembers wondering why God would do all these miraculous things and lead them to this place where there is no way to go forward and there is no way to go backward and they are sitting ducks. And he remembers how the army just got closer and closer and closer and God didn't do anything. And then he remembers how God parted the water 
and how they passed through on dry land with the army right on their heels, and that when they reached the other side and all of them were out, how God closed the sea on the Egyptian army and once again showed himself strong. That was 40 years ago. Now he stands on the banks of the Jordan River, stroking his beard and wondering what's going to happen next. See, by this time, there was a whole generation that did not remember those days. That there was a whole generation that passed away in the wilderness as they had a journey that should have taken maybe two weeks on the outside and they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness and, and how God had now brought them to the place where they could look across the Jordan River and see the fortified city of Jericho and say that's the land that God promised us. But there was a whole generation who had been born in the wilderness They hadn't seen the sea part. They hadn't been there for the plagues. Those were just old stories that had been told to them by the old people. And there was only a few of those left. And by the way, as he stands on the banks of the Jordan, looking at the walls of Jericho, one thought keeps popping into his head. Moses is dead. All of that power, all that leadership, all of that strength, all of that wisdom, all of that guidance is now gone. And Joshua has been called by God to stand in Moses' shoes and lead the people into the promised land. And he had to be scared. In fact, the Bible describes him as sort of shaking in his boots and completely unaware of what he should do next. And it's at that point that God actually speaks to Joshua. Now, you're going to find this story in the book of Joshua. So it's in your Old Testament after you get to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then the next book is Joshua. And I want you to go to Joshua chapter 1. And I want you to see how God gives Joshua a pep talk. Do you sometimes need a pep talk? Sometimes need a little shot of encouragement when you're facing life and you don't know what to do. That's what happens here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Hopefully you're there by now. Follow along. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, You and all this people to this land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory." No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. It's nice to get a pep talk. Especially at a time like that. 
and especially from God. It's nice to get a pep talk. However, if I put myself in the sandals of Joshua, I am looking at the Jordan River at flood stage. It has already at this time of the year overflowed its banks. It is roughly twice the size that it normally would be. And there is no way to get across. And none of the people who are with me remember the day that there was no way to get across the Red Sea. And I'm supposed to motivate these people. And I'm supposed to convince them that we should cross this river somehow, some way. Oh, and by the way, when we get to the other side, we're going to come to the most fortified city in the area. Giant walls and archers manning the walls who are just waiting to kill us. And I'm supposed to lead these people into this land. You get the pep talk, but you have to be thinking, how? How is this going to happen? How is he going to lead all of these people? He's never been the leader before. How is he going to eventually judge between them and serve as their leader in the promised land? Where's he going to get the wisdom? Where's he going to get the understanding to know what to do? And those questions have to be going through his mind. And God doesn't wait for him to ask those questions. He anticipates those questions. And it's interesting that at this point, God does not lay out a game plan for him. God does not say, okay, here's where you're going to go first. Here's how you're going to win this battle. Here's how I'm going to get you across the, uh, the river. He doesn't tell, them, doesn't tell Joshua any of that. He doesn't give him any kind of step-by-step plan. He didn't tell him the details of how to set up a government once they got into the promised land. He didn't tell them anything about how to keep the people focused on God once they had finally gotten the blessings that they had been waiting for all of this time. But God did give Joshua a foundational principle. It's a principle that would serve as the basis for his leadership for the rest of his life. And it's a principle that guided him through what was arguably the most pivotal time in the history of the people of God. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. God says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. We've been talking uh, for the last several weeks about wisdom. The kind of wisdom that you can only get from God, the kind of wisdom that you need as a foundation in your life, so that even though God tends to not give us step-by-step directions for how everything is going to go the rest of the way, you will have a foundation of biblical truth so that you will have the wisdom to know what God would have you do from situation to situation. We've been talking about that for weeks. What was the most essential thing for Joshua to do as the new leader of the people of God? It says here he had to study 
and meditate on God's word. God, of all of the instructions God could have given him, of all of the things that he wanted to know, God said this, take my word and eat it. Take my word and bathe in it. Take my word and walk in it. Take my word and think about it in an unending way. It was God's word that would give Joshua the direction that he needed. It was God's word that would give him instructions. It was God's word that would give him the wisdom for the very, very challenging days that lay ahead. And as we think about an ancient story that happened so long ago with people we've never met, I have to wonder, what challenges are lying ahead in your future that you don't know anything about? What what pathway is God going to need you to be on in order for you to live out the life that he had planned for you that you don't know about? What are the challenges lying ahead for you in your future, or me in, in my future? Difficult decisions, undoubtedly. Unexpected trials. Life-altering turns of events. And I wonder where we are going to get the wisdom to walk successfully through all of that. As we saw a few weeks ago, there are a few ways for Christians to acquire wisdom. James chapter 1 Verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we know that if we need wisdom, one of the things we have to do is to ask God for wisdom, and God has all the wisdom we could ever possibly need, and he can dispense it to us even in the moment so that we know what to do. It's a wonderful promise from God's word. We also saw a couple of weeks ago that one of the key ways that the Bible says you get wisdom is you get wisdom with gray hair. And I have done the research and I know it counts for hair on the chin as well. (laughs) And in other words, you actually have to walk through life for a while observing how things go, you have to actually remember how God has been taking you up to this point. And as you do that, you acquire wisdom that becomes foundational in your life so that you're able to make right decisions. I was uh, 26 years old when I took on the role of senior pastor of this church. Now, for those of you wondering, that was at least four years ago. I was 26, and you didn't have to sit me down and wag your finger and say, man, you're in over your head. I knew I was in over my head. I was walking around carrying a sign saying, don't ask me anything. I'm in over my head. <laughs> and and um, I regularly applied James chapter 1, verse 5. I was constantly going, oh, God, I got a counseling session coming up. I need wisdom. Oh, God, we have decisions to make as a church. I need wisdom. Oh, God, important leaders are moving away, and I don't know how we're going to make it as a church. I need wisdom. Oh, God, there are families who are hurting. I need wisdom. And I'm constantly asking God in those days for wisdom. But part of the problem is 
I was able to apply James 1.5, but I had not had the time necessary to gain the wisdom that comes with gray hair. In those days, I had hair and it was not gray. I was often counseling people about how to raise their children, but I had never raised any children. I was, I was meeting with couples who were struggling in their marriage and counseling them about how do you have a strong marriage, even though I was basically a newlywed myself and just starting to figure this whole thing out. I was um, meeting with people to talk about how to be wise with your finances and plan for retirement. Even though retirement was a million years away from me and I didn't have a penny in my pockets. But people came to me because on the door outside my office, it said, senior pastor. And the, the word senior was very small writing. <laughs> and despite my obvious lack of experience, it was in those days common for someone to say to me, you know, you have wisdom beyond your years. Where, where do you get this kind of of wisdom. And I only had one answer then. And no one ever says to me, you have wisdom beyond your years now. <laughs> but here's what I can tell you now that I have been walking with Jesus for 43 years. I can tell you this. Almost every day of those 43 years, I have opened this book and studied it and meditated on it and asked God to show me how it applies to my life. So if you say to me, I need more wisdom, then I will say to you, the Bible is a very thick book and on every page there's wisdom. Now, at this point in the message, this is going to start feeling less like a sermon and more like a topical Bible study. So I'm just warning you about that. You're going to want to have Bibles out. We're going to be jumping from verse to verse, and we're going to be kind of doing a topical Bible study on this question. What is it that God's Word gives to us that is so important that when Joshua did not know what to do, God didn't tell him what to do except to meditate on God's Word? So take your Bibles now, if you're in the book of Joshua, go all the way to the other end of your Bible, a New Testament book of Hebrews. It's very close to the end. If you get to the book of James, you went too far. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, there's a very well-known verse that a lot of us can probably quote. We've often heard it before, but I don't know how much thought we've really given to the significance of this. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, speaking of the Bible, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a lot of claims. The Word of God, the written Word of God, your Bible, is living and active and 
powerful, it says. The Bible is not, this is a mistake that we so often make. We think of the Bible, even as Christians, those of us who are are Bible believers, we think of the Bible as an ancient book in which God once spoke. And there's a degree to which that's true. But it's not enough. This is not just an ancient book in which God once spoke. This is an ancient book in which God is speaking. So it's not just that, you know, some time ago there was a culture and there was an audience and there were some people who needed to hear some things and God spoke to them and it's written down for us and we can now read about it like a history book. That's not your Bible. Your Bible is actually alive. You go, what do you mean? I mean that God, by the Holy Spirit, is working through the words of Scripture which God breathed at that time that are just as relevant to us today, and God will use His Word to speak to your specific issues in your specific life at this specific time. The Word of God is alive because God is alive. And when he inspired his word to be written down for us and protected it throughout all of these ages so that we would have this incredible collection of God's wisdom and direction and will for our lives, he did not just close it and say, well, if they find this one day and blow the dust off of it, maybe they'll learn about how things were back in the day. He actually gave us a living testament. It's a picture of God's plan for our life. It's what God is saying right now. It is the megaphone that God is using to speak into our lives. Listen, God is all-knowing. God is all-wise. And God is not bound by time. He knew when he inspired the words of the Scripture exactly who would be reading it in 2022. He knew what our situation would be. He knew what our problems would be. He knew what we would be facing and dealing with. He gave us principles in his word that are just as applicable today as they ever were back then. You say, well, I've been trying to figure out what kind of car I should buy and what kind of loan I should get and what interest rate I should pay. And I've been looking through my Bible and I can't find anything that says, buy a Toyota. No, but you have principles in God's word that will teach you about decision making. You have principles in God's word that will teach you about prioritizing. You have principles in God's word that will teach you God's core values, which should be lived out in your life, and those will guide you to make the decision about your Toyota, Honda, or Chevy. That's what God's word does for us. And he knew where we would be, and he knew what we'd be going through. Now, flip over. If you're in Hebrews, go back to the left a little bit and go to 2 Timothy. It's just a a few pages to your left. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's a fascinating passage. 
See, this book is God's written word. He actually inspired it, and, and when it says that all Scripture is inspired by God, literally in the Greek it says all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture came out of the mouth of God. So don't get this idea that somehow there were just some religious leaders who were really smart and really wise, and they wrote down some stuff they thought might be helpful. No, this is actually God working through the pen of his chosen writers and speaking every single word of Scripture. That's why it's alive. That's why it's powerful. That's why it's able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit. It's because it is actually God's words. That's why everything in this book is profitable. God's word teaches us. It reproves us. It corrects us. It's through God's written word that he trains us in righteousness. God uses the Bible to equip us for every good work, which to me is fascinating because one of my favorite verses is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So, his word equips us for every good work, and these are good works that God prepared before you were ever born because God has a plan for your life. Guys, this is so monumentally important for us to understand. We read about Moses, we go, wow, God had a plan for his life. We read about Joshua, wow, God had a plan for his life. We read about John the Baptist, God had a plan for his life. We read about the Apostle Paul, God had a plan for his life. God has a plan for your life. You are his workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that's God's plan, which he prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, it is the Bible that equips us for every good work. So, how does he equip us for those good works? Through his written word. The word of God is an amazing gift to us, and in some ways, I feel like sometimes I have um, underestimated the gift of God's word in my life. I wouldn't even want to guess how many copies of this book I own. It's dozens, maybe a hundred, not to mention that I've got an app on every device that I own that will give it to me in every possible translation in every language it's ever been translated into. And I grew up with this. Like even before I knew God, I knew there was a Bible. Every household I knew as a child had at least one Bible in it. Now I'm not saying those Bibles were getting opened. I'm just saying there was a Bible in every home. You can't go to a hotel room without finding a Bible. The Bible is everywhere and we're used to it. And we're so comfortable with the fact that there's a, a way to learn from God, from his Bible. We could go to a Bible study. We can go online and, and listen to a sermon. We can buy books that are written about the Bible. There's so much Bible, 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 Bible available to us that we kind of yawn and go, it's just the Bible. It's God's living word. It is able 
to correct us, reprove us, teach us, train us in righteousness, equip us for every good work. It's an amazing gift, and yet so many of us, so many of us allow it to sit on our bookshelves gathering dust. Probably the quintessential message about the Bible in the Bible is in Psalm 119. So open your Bible. If you've got, you got a paper Bible, open it right to the middle. You'll land in Psalms, and Psalm 119 is right in the middle, and it's huge. When you get to Psalm 119, you're going to notice that unlike some of the Psalms surrounding it, it's massive. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. Uh, it takes up six pages in my Bible, Psalm 119. And it is filled beginning to end with statements that extol the beauty and the power and the wisdom of God's word. And we don't have time to even read all of Psalm 119 this morning, let alone teach on it. But I want to give you a glimpse. So pick it up with me in verse 9. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. I love this section of the psalm. First of all, it begins with this, how is a young person supposed to keep their, their lives pure? <laughs> it just kind of makes me chuckle when I read this, and I realize this is thousands of years ago, and I think, how relevant is that question today? How is a young person in the United States in 2022 supposed to keep his or her way pure? How are you supposed to stay on the right track as you're, as you're starting off in life? How is it even possible the things that we deal with today that even our parents' generation never even dreamed were possible? And, and I don't want to go on a rant or a tirade. I think you all know what I'm talking about. But the fact of the matter is just the, the uh, relevance and the availability of everything media in our lives means that all kinds of crazy ideas and all kinds of crazy temptations and all kinds of crazy thoughts are coming into our hearts constantly. If you're a young person, old person, male, female, if you own an electronic device that gives you access to the internet, then there is pornography one click away from you at all times. How does a young person keep his way pure in a time like this? 
How do we keep our way pure? When you think about it, like, what is it that comes into my mind? What is it that comes into my heart? I'm access to every idea out there, and a lot of it I don't even filter because it comes in the way of entertainment, and so I'm watching a movie, I'm watching a music video, I'm listening to a song, I'm watching a TikTok video, I'm looking at a tweet, and all of this stuff that's coming into my mind is unfiltered with regard to the Word of God or truth. And so it all comes to me in the same way, and it all seems like truth. But haven't you noticed that in this day and age, you don't know what's true, right? I'll tell you this, unless it's in this book, I don't know if it's true. My best friend can tell me a story, and I'll go, huh, wonder if that's true. I, I can look at somebody's tweet go, man, I, I wonder if that's true. I can see an article that somebody tags on the internet and go, man, I, I wonder if that's true. We don't know what's true anymore. What comes out of the mouth of one politician is the opposite of what comes out of the mouth of the other politician. Which one's true? I'll give you a hint, neither one. <laughs> and, and this is what we live in. And so the psalmist asks this question, how are we supposed to keep our way pure? And then answers it by keeping it according to God's word. God's word becomes the great filter. God's word becomes the measuring stick of everything that purports to be truth. God's word is our great shield and our protector. It's God's word that he uses to filter our thoughts. And then he goes on and he says this about his word. He says, um, I've treasured it in my heart. I love that. And, and you read that in the Hebrew, and um, it's kind of a hard word to exactly um, define in English or translate the word treasured. Uh, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, there's something about treasuring his word in our heart that protects us keeps our way pure, and helps us to avoid sinning against God. And the word treasured in Hebrew there is a word that is also translated as buried. It's also translated as hidden. So you can see where the concept of treasure is. It's a buried, hidden, valuable thing. You got to dig it. You got you to gotta want it. You got to find it. You got to go for it. But if you hide it, if you treasure it, if you value it as a treasure in your heart, it will keep you from falling into sin. And then verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts. Guys, the concept of meditation in our society today has completely devoid of the biblical meaning of it. The idea of meditation that most of us think of when somebody says, well, you know, I meditate daily. We picture somebody who sits there in a quiet room and empties their mind of all thought. It is literally the opposite of biblical meditation. To meditate on God's word is to focus our mind on the truth that God's word gives us. And he says, I meditate on your word daily. That's how I'm going to keep my way straight. That's how I'm going to live by wisdom. Verse 16, he says, I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Isn't it interesting? That's the exact same command that God gave to Joshua as he stood on the banks of the river 
before he embarked on the most challenging season his life would ever see. That's the command that God gave him that guaranteed him success. But how's that happen? How does God's word keep us on the right path? How does God's word keep us from stumbling? Well, you know, you can't say this in many places, but here in Psalm 119, skip down about 100 verses and, and go to the verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. As I said, you can read the whole psalm. It's all on the same topic. But here's what it says in verse 105. Your word, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And every time I think about this verse, I picture, like, here we are in a lighted room. And, and the light comes from, you know, God knows where. We don't pay any attention to it. It's just light enough for us to see what we need to see. But that's not the case in their day. When this psalm was written, if you needed a light for your path, did you pull out your iPhone, press on the little thing, and shine it on your path? No. What did you have? You had a candle or a lantern, right? Now picture this. You've got a candle or a lantern, which is a candle inside of glass, that's what you've got, and you're walking on a dark path in the dark of night, and you don't know where you're going, and it could be dangerous, and you may fall off of a cliff. So what do you do? You take the lantern, you hold it out in front of you as far as your arm will go, and you step. As you step, what happens to the light? It moves forward and illuminates your next step. And as you step, what happens? It illuminates your next step. And you can continue on the right path as long as you have that light illuminating your path. God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But that only happens when we pour God's word into our lives, hide it like a buried treasure in our hearts. So, let's recap. God has spoken His Word to us. He is still speaking His Word to us through the Bible. He has entrusted us to meditate on His Word, to hide it in our hearts, to treasure it, to delight in it. And you say, okay, I got it. Is that all there is to it? If we hide our, uh, His Word in our hearts, does that mean that we're going to live wise and successful lives? There's still something missing. In the book of James, you don't have to turn there, in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 22. In James 1.22, it says, But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. A lot of us hear the word of God. We, we come to church on a Sunday and we hear someone expounding the word of God. We maybe uh, listen to an audio Bible on our phones as we're driving to work. We, we uh, go to a Bible study and someone teaches on the Word of God. We turn on a, a Christian television station. Somebody's talking about the Word of God. We hear it and we hear it and we hear it. And he says, if you hear it and don't do it, you're deluding yourself. You are kidding yourself if you think you're going to live a wise life. It is possible to read your Bible every day, to sit under the teaching of wonderful pastors and teachers, to attend seminary and get an advanced degree and a PhD in Bible and theology. 
If you don't apply it to your life, it makes absolutely no difference. Except maybe makes you a little more accountable. There's a difference between having wisdom and living wisely. Let me help you understand. Most of the book of Proverbs is written by the person God says is the wisest man who lived before him and the wisest man who will live after him. The wisest man the world has ever seen is King Solomon. God poured wisdom into his heart and King Solomon managed to somehow take all of that wisdom and live like an idiot. The guy married 700 women and had 300 more concubines. Now, there's so many jokes for me there that I'm just going to pass them all right up and just say this. Can we all agree that ain't wise? And, And he makes all of these choices that lack wisdom. Why? Because he wasn't wise? No, because he lacked the character to apply the wisdom to his life and live it out. It was a matter of self-control in his case, not a matter of lack of wisdom. We have to actually do what God's word says. In Luke eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. In John chapter 8, let, let's let Jesus speak for himself here. Let's look at this in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, we're going to pick this up. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, if you walk in my word, if you apply my word, if you live according to my word, then you are truly followers of mine. Just owning this book doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. Just memorizing this book does not make you a disciple of Christ. It is following the truth of God's word that makes you a disciple of Christ. And by the way, this truth will set you free. And so many people walking around in bondage, bondage to sin, bondage to temptation, bondage to their past, bondage to fear, bondage to anxiety, bondage to Satan. So many people walking around in bondage. And this book is the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in his word, you're his disciple. And, and I'm running out of time, but the Bible has one last point here that I don't want to miss. The Bible is our number one weapon when it comes to spiritual warfare. How did Jesus counter the attacks of Satan in the wilderness when he came to him and tempted him three times? Every time he answered with Scripture, he always said, it is written, and he refused to compromise the truth that was written. And when you look at Paul's famous passage on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God. He talks about a helmet and a breastplate and a shield and all of this protective armor, right? There's one piece of the armor of God that is offensive in nature that we're told in Ephesians 6 to put on. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, he tells us, and to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Our spiritual battles are fought with the truth of this word. And there's so much crazy teaching out there about this. You know, if you just uh, say the right words in the right order, if you just believe really hard, if you just try, if you just uh, go to the right church, write a check to the right ministry, then you're going to win all of these spiritual battles. You know what the Word of God says? Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and cut His head off. We don't have to lose those battles if we take the word of God seriously. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 through 5, you don't have to turn there because I'm preaching too long, but, but here's what it says. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's Paul's section on spiritual warfare to the Corinthians. He goes, it's about your thoughts. It's about what you're thinking. It's about what you call truth and what you accept as truth that is actually a lie. The battle is fought on the issue of truth. And if we will meditate on God's word, if we will treasure it, if we will hide it in our hearts, and for God's sake, if we will just apply it, we will be saved from a thousand difficulties. So let me ask you this. What, or maybe who, is influencing the way you think? Television? You say it's just entertainment. I don't really take any of that seriously. Um, social media? Uh, your friends and what your friends say? Is it the, the political mailers that are filling up your mailbox these days? Or is it the living, active word of the living, active God? The application of this message is obvious. Get God's word into your heart and treasure it daily Bible study. So uh, I'm just not great at that. Sometimes I read the Bible and I don't even understand what it's saying. Listen, it's like a muscle. Exercise it and you will gain strength. Be in God's word every day. It will not happen to you. You have to schedule it. And Satan will throw everything he possibly can in front of you to keep you from opening this book. But you have to do it. It's up to you. You don't need someone to be standing over your shoulder teaching you what everything means. You get to study God's word. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And guess what? He wrote the book. He knows what it means. He has the ability to bring it into application in your life. By the way, we've all got one of these fancy phones that we spend all our time watching people's TikTok videos on. There are amazing Bible apps out there. They will, they will give you devotional series that you can go through. They will, you could just press a button and they will read the Bible to you. Um, use those apps. L listen to God's word. If, you, if you're not able to read it, you're going to be sitting in traffic almost every day. How about if instead of talk radio and the baloney that goes on there, what if you start putting on the word of God and just soaking it up? Other believers... 
Surrounding yourself with people who are wise. We'll get to this later in this series, but the scripture says, he is wise who walks with the wise. Ask yourself this, who do I walk with? What kind of baloney goes into my mind from those I walk with? Just like Joshua, God has big plans for your life. So wherever you are, just take a step deeper into God's word. Start where you are and go further. It starts with meditating on God's word. It starts with applying his truths in your daily living. Wherever you are with God's word, I challenge you, I exhort you, I encourage you, I beg you, take the next step starting today. This is the source of wisdom. Let's stand and pray together. Father, it is um, humbling to realize that the, the living God, the one who spoke the universe into creation, the one who designed every cell in my body has also given me his word and I, I have access to it whenever I want. I'm so thankful, God, for your word. I'm so thankful that your spirit lives within those of us who are followers of Christ. And I pray now, God, that for each and every one of us, there would not be this uh, sense of defeat or this sense of shame or this sense of brokenness that comes because I haven't taken your word seriously enough to this point. But I pray that for every one of us, there would be a sense of encouragement, a sense of hope, a sense of joy that we can take up your word from wherever we are, begin to apply it in our lives, begin to meditate on it, begin to delight in it, begin to treasure it and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. So God, help us. May today be the last day that we didn't take your word seriously enough. Transform our lives and do it with your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.